Hello, kids, and welcome to the Endurance Cartel Podcast. I am your performance and lifestyle coach, Javier Pineda. Today, we have a very special episode, one that I know that you're going to love and that you're going to be sharing this episode with your buddies, I'm telling you. But before I introduce my guest, I want to thank everybody that has been leaving us a review. You're not only supporting this podcast, but you're also helping us expand and reach new listeners. So that is always a plus. Today, we have the one and only Leanda Cave. She is a four-time world champion triathlete. In 2012, she won Ironman Hawaii World Championship. And that same year, she crushed the whole competition and won the Ironman 70.3 World Championship as well. Leanda is the only female to ever win two world championships the same year. The conversation I had with her was not only insightful and inspiring, but educational as well. She's not only an accomplished athlete, a coach, but an all-around amazing person. We talked strength and conditioning, nutrition, coaching, life after triathlons, and much more. Here we go, guys. Hope you enjoy this. Leanda, I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, have you had lunch? I didn't interrupt you for lunch, right? No, we had an early lunch today. Yeah, we, depending on the day, sometimes we have a late lunch and early lunch today. So, are you one of those eaters that just strolls through lunch without disregard? If I'm busy doing something, I sometimes graze through the day and I'm not really like doing a sit down lunch where I eat well. I just have a little quick bite here and there. But most times I prepare something mostly just because I like to be a little bit more on the, the health conscious side. And today we had a frittata, an egg frittata that I made. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm always like in and out. It's either I have time or I don't have time. So I try to prepare uh, something if I have time. If I don't, it's either leftovers or I swing by the, the store and grab some empanadas or something like that. Nice. Wow, you're full-blown Miami with empanadas now, huh? I'd never had them before until we recently moved here to Miami. And yeah, I'm a fan. What kind of empanadas do you get? I actually like the beef. That's a good one, I must admit. Yeah, I like a little bit of meat and protein in there. <laughs> now, were you always very health conscious during your racing days as well, or no? Yeah, look, there was a point when I was just unable to keep up with the calories I was burning. I would definitely be a little bit more naughty and snack on chips and chocolate and things like that more frequently. I, I definitely still eat them, but I'm not like... They're not there in the cupboard where I'm just like eating them in between just to keep up with the calories. Because when you're training for Ironman and those distances at the level I was doing, you're just constantly burning. And I just, I found I was just losing so much weight. And so I was eating pretty well. And it was funny because when I retired, I had to make a very conscious adjustment to my diet as in like I had, I actually downloaded an app just so I could keep track of my calories Wow. Because I I had to relearn how to eat without being an athlete. And mm-hmm. so it was an interesting little journey. And, and I found my sweet spot. And once I figured it out, like I, I stopped using the app. But it was just a good education to figure out that, you know, that place where you're burning calories. Like I've always exercised. I've always, and I still do today. And I still work out a lot. And I train clients and everything. So I'm still out being very active and still burning a lot of calories, but it's a different set of calories than I used to burn. And just understanding that helped me navigate like what I need to eat today Mm -hmm. versus back then when I was racing. And 
I took for granted that I could eat anything I wanted at the time when I was racing as a professional athlete. And nowadays it's a little bit more of a conscious choice. Like I make every day, like what I eat versus like I, back then I was kind of more into anything, you know? I wanted to ask you during your racing days, you could eat anything you want, not anything you want, because you had to keep the target weight. And now that you're off, don't you feel quote unquote healthier? It's different. I feel more, I wouldn't say cognizant of the world because when I, <laughs> I really didn't, I was so tired all the time. Everything was a fog. And I also just stopped using my brain because when you're an athlete, you just train, eat and sleep. So you're really not like using a lot upstairs. What we do is awesome and it's hard, but it's not, it's not, you're not using your brain cells very much. So I had to like, just accept the fact that I was a smart, dumb kid, essentially when I was racing. But when I retired, I had more time, I get more sleep and I'm like, oh, actually I'm using my brain again, started coaching online, doing a lot of training plans and looking at numbers, statistics, data, and then woke my brain up again. And now I'm like very cognizant of like things like that. And then also the rest of the world, I read a lot more, I get more into different like topics. It's not just all about sport. I'm very in tune with finance and all those sorts of things too. So now I'm just I'm definitely like more aware of things rather than before. I was just like, I didn't even have the energy to have a conversation. So mm. it's very different today than what I was back then cognitively. And then just physically, it's just, so yeah, I feel a little healthier. So I don't, it's, it's hard to say because I know that there was a point where, you know, when you're so fit and feel it's a different sense of healthy, it feel, you feel light and Mm -hmm. fluid and everything's effortless. And today when I work out, sure, I may look similar, but it's harder. <laughs> everything's harder. So I, I don't mm -hmm. feel fit so much as I just, I feel healthy in a different way. Like I just, I feel more all around, like holistically healthy as opposed to just being physically healthy like I was back then. I, I agree with you. When I started doing Ironmans, not that I ever was at your level, I was just basically age group, but I had nothing in common with the external world. I would go to a party or something. People were just like, so how much did you run today? How much did you swim? How much are you going to ride tomorrow? I don't want to freaking talk about that. Man. But <laughs> and again, this is all I was doing. I had nothing in common with the external world. Yeah. Look, in a way, I'm more open to talking about triathlon today than I was when I was an athlete. It's like any person who works a day job. It's not like they want to go home and after hours talk about it with their partner or they don't want to spend their weekends talking about it. So for me, I shut it off a little bit outside of my world when I wasn't training. But today, triathlon is still such a significant part of my life and is my still essentially my job. I'm training people, coach, I work out with clients, so all those things. I'm still like very in tune with the sport. And I do talk about it probably more now than I did back then. And I'm, I'm quite happy about it. And I'm also very still passionate about it, but in a different kind of sense than I used to be. When you eat, sleep and breathe it for a living, it's a lot. And then now I, I don't think it's as intense as it used to be. I can only imagine because your schedule must have been so demanding in many ways. And yeah. that's what I wanted to talk to you about mostly today, about how the life of a triathlete uh, can equate to a life uh, outside of triathlons as well, or any other professional sport. Right. Yeah. Happy to like talk about that. That's a big topic these days. And we see a lot more pros, like probably in my era, retiring. And they all face this kind of point where they're like, okay, now's the time. What do I do next? And 
for me, I transitioned into that, like this coaching role because I'd already planned that out a little bit years before my retirement, Mm -hmm. this kind of exit strategy. So I did get my certification to be a coach. I started coaching people for free on the side when I was still training and racing professionally just to get some experience. And then when I retired, that's when I actually said, okay, business starts now. I start charging for my my services and I was able to keep that momentum going and still do today with the, the coaching role. It wasn't like a long-term play for me. It wasn't something I'd always fancied doing in terms of like a profession after racing. And I'm still looking and, and working on other things on the side as well. It's not just the coaching, but in terms of my revenue that, that I earn now, it's mostly from some sort of coaching, whether it's online or personal, private, those sorts of avenues that I, I, I make my money. But in terms of things we learned through sport and my whole education was through triathlon. Like I spent 18 years professionally doing racing in this sport and I probably in total 22 years actually doing the sport of triathlons. It's more than half of my life I've spent doing triathlon and most of the lessons in life I've learned from that. So you see and hear and get experience in a lot of ways. And that's where I draw a lot of my knowledge about the world through sport. And for me, I like to share that and I come mm-hmm. up with ideas and ways to incorporate that into the day-to-day living. And that's what I give my athletes that I train, that sort of concept. And I think that's like, that's a draw card that kind of keeps them in tune with the sport as well, because they see it as not just something they do as a hobby, it's kind of part of their lifestyle. And so that for me is like something I've been able to, through retiring and and transitioning into another career, the same sport, different career. I must admit the first time that I saw you, I was a bit starstruck. And because you retired right when the social media boom started in the sport. And I feel that a lot of the names, the, the names back then, I don't think people right now will, I wouldn't say recognize them, but not put like, oh, there goes uh, Peter Reed or somebody like that. But yeah, you are the Ironman champion of 2012. And that same year, you won 70.3 Ironman. And it's first ever, right? Still? And- yeah, first. And, and it's been once done since by Danielle Reef, but only once. Uh, she tried multiple times after that but has never she was never able to repeat but yeah in terms of the social media yeah you're right I guess I got into it right at the tail end of my career really which um, I think there was still a lot of people who were not really in the sport and we also looked generationally like it was 10 years ago that I won in Kona and by the way that goes by so fast right. <laughs> but yeah 10 years and then so you're looking at these like kids that back then that may be doing Ironman today who are not necessarily aware what that sport or who was in that sport back then right and social media wise like they may have not been on social media back then but are now so they're more in tune with who's currently doing the sport who's currently the names in the sport and that's why you probably see like you said some of these kind of pioneers or legends in the sport that never really had or have the presence on social media that some of the stars today that do. For example, like someone today, like myself, who'd won four world championships, you'd be a pretty big name in social media if you were a Mm -hmm. triathlete. But back then, like I missed that boat, if you like, like that was something that wasn't the social media side wasn't so important. Uh, I mean, still buying magazines at the <laughs> newsstand and things like that when I was racing and how it's pretty much all online. I don't think anyone buys 
a physical copy of Triathlete magazine anymore. It's all just read online or it's all just fed through Instagram and so forth. So yeah, there's a different like evolving form of social media or media, I would say in general around triathlon. And I did, like you said, like catching, capturing that timing. And my time was probably towards the end when it was just really starting getting to mainstream. And it's harder now to get a footprint in social media is hard unless you have mm-hmm. a significant following, like people don't really stand up. So I have a significant following on Instagram and, and Twitter. I used to have a Facebook page, but I got hacked. So that's gone. Yeah, that was like, that was really good. But yeah, unfortunately, someone hacked me out of that. But yeah, I did do me a favor. <laughs> it's only a matter before Elon Musk goes and buys it. So yeah, I, I have some presence, which is still good. And I'm, again, because I'm still in the sport in a way, yes, I am training for Ultraman and I'm still doing a lot in terms of the coaching within the sport and that I kind of maintain like my triathlon status. So it's mm-hmm. people still recognize me who knew me back then. But I think generationally, there's just so many new people in the sport. And then if we look at Miami, for as just one place, for example, like they used to have the 70.3 here and it used to be like 60% first timers. And yep. most people don't know what happened in 2012. Um, and they're probably <laughs> unlikely to ever look, <laughs> to be fair. But they'll see any winner of a race and like maybe start following them. And that's in today's current climate. So yeah, we... Myself and like some of the other competitors I was racing with back then, like Chrissy Wellington being one, probably has very few followers and maybe she doesn't even use social media anymore. I'm, I'm sure she was on Instagram at one point, but... I remember knowing her on Facebook. Yeah, I think she had had some present, but it wasn't, it wasn't our thing. It was like people weren't posting. It wasn't a big deal. And so, yeah, I would say that now it's if you don't post stuff, you're missing a huge opportunity. And now I think the big thing, which we see a lot more of is what's happening on YouTube. A lot of these pros, mostly the men, to be honest, Mm -hmm. are posting like most video weekly on YouTube about their training, their progress, their workouts. I went by, like Sam Long just had a bike crash and videoed like his, you know, thoughts after that and just things like that. So I think that's really shifting as well. Like this, the YouTube docuseries of these athletes, which I think is very entertaining. And you're getting to see a lot more of the personalities behind the sport. And I think that's something that's actually been missing for a long time. I'm sure you can see it on on Instagram a little bit, but like the YouTube, you, you really get into it. Like you really get to see and hear and it's unfiltered, um, uncensored. So you get to, to see a real like snapshot of who these athletes are. And it's fun. They have personalities. They're not just pictures. I agree. People's attention span is not that great anymore. Couldn't get it off my mind as well when you said that you were training for free. My goodness, even before retiring, you're so humble. Yeah, That's I'm really I mean. aware of like, you have to get education. So I actually got an education for free, right? That's how I see it. Most mm-hmm. people, they go to school and they have to pay for that. Well, I'm learning the ropes of coaching without having to pay for that. And then eventually I turned that into a career. So Unlike going to university or whatever, where you pay and then you finish university, you get a job and then you actually get paid. I was actually getting the education for free and now I'm getting paid. So I've seen, even though, yeah, it was free, it wasn't. It was like me paying my dues to like getting the skill set that I needed to coach. And I don't know if a lot of people would understand or see it that way. I, I think, yes, as a professional athlete at my level, sure, you could say, oh, you should be able to charge a lot of money for that. But at the same time, I want to, I feel like, 
I'm only evolving myself and bettering myself by getting that education. I want to make sure I get people to coach who, sure, if I'm doing a bad job, they can, they're happy to tell me and I don't feel bad about it if I'm not charging them. I mean, like, it's kind of like this apprentice approach where you can't hate on me because you're not getting, you, you pay for what you get. If you get a crappy coach because I'm not charging you, then you get a crappy coach. So don't blame me if I'm messing it up along the way. So I had some people who I was coaching and they were very good at giving me feedback. I was very open to learning from, from them as athletes and, and what their needs were. And I think that helped me grow into a pretty good, I think I'm a pretty good coach these days. Some of my athletes would hopefully agree with you. If I were being trained by a four-time world champion like yourself, I would not question that for one second. I would never go back to, by the way, I think you did this mistake right here. <laughs> never in a million years. I'm curious on how you program your clients, training age, gender. What is it that you're looking for? Everyone's an individual in my book, whether you're male or female or in between. It's not so much like the sex of an athlete. It's what they're capable of. And so as you go through a training plan with an athlete, you'll learn more about them. And I think that's the key, which I feel is very important to customize training. And you won't get that in just a generic training plan that you pull off the internet off like one of the websites or whatever. Like every, it's a not one size fits all place to be. Like there's different athletes have different needs. There's so many different body types. People have jobs, they work, they study, they have families, they have all sorts of time commitments that take them away from training. And so for me, it doesn't matter what sex you are, you have to apply a training plan to the athlete and their needs. And so it, I feel like sometimes, and this is probably why Ironman struggles a lot, is like they cater to the masses and the masses are majority, the majority being men. And they don't blend so much what they, their marketing and that towards like just that more that approach where it, it's it's everybody it's not just like the males doing the sport but it could be the males like also have kids and raise the kids right. while the wife goes to work or whatever so a lot of the advertising and probably the marketing side is more in tune with the male itself rather than that the everybody approach like men are a little bit more optimistic about their ability and mm. then females they'll see a race and they'll be like, oh yeah, I can do that. And then the women might see a race and go, oh, that's a little out of my ability, out of my reach. So it's kind of then adjusting from that approach too, as a coach saying, maybe telling the guys like, hey, let's be realistic here. And the women like, oh, you can do that. You're a badass. You're like already running like 50 miles a week. There's no way you, sh you, you should be doubting yourself. So it's just, again, like, Males need one approach and females need another approach mentally, um, psychologically. And, and again, you have to like feed that energy in the right way. I feel that you can learn a lot from your injuries. First off, I wanted to ask you just how did you deal with them and what came out of it? Want to have your thoughts on that? I, injuries are part of the sport. They're part of every sport. And mm -hmm. People need to, I, I convey that to all my athletes. There's going to be a time where you may get injured because... We are putting our bodies through some extreme levels of exertion, which is not classified as normal. And again, we all are all built differently. And one athlete may suffer an injury one place and another might be another place, but it is part of the job description. So we have to accept that injuries can happen 
And from a coach perspective, our, our job is not only to coach an athlete, but also to try to prevent injuries. So known injuries that are very common with triathletes are hamstrings, like glute issues, like upper back issues, shoulder injuries, and lower limb injuries. So these things which you can assume that every triathlete who comes to be trained by me could be at risk of these certain injuries. Now then knowing that as a blueprint, a coach can then say, okay, as standard, all these athletes should be working on X, Y, Z for strengths. And if they're not, then that's something that we have to build into it. And when I see athletes, the ones I train privately, I give them an assessment, a physical assessment. I see what their body is doing and what they've done in the past and are their glutes firing? Are they flexible enough in the hips? Are they Mm -hmm. tight in the upper body? Like all these little things that contribute to injuries. And then we have to fix that. If there's weakness or if there's activation issue, we have to address that before we can go into a fully fledged training program where we're like trying to hit the pavement hard. And I think once once those things start like working optimally, the, the body is then prepped well to execute a very solid training program. So if you have a, an athlete then who hasn't done these pre, pre-training plan assessments, and, and virtually it's much more difficult, but generally like I can get an athlete to give me a video of a certain routine that I can see where their weaknesses are. And then I can create a, a strength program based off that will help them pre-season to get into the main training phase. And so that's very important. And there's always going to be something that pops up. I've had one athlete who, last year, like his shoulder popped out right before Sacramento Ironman, which honestly, in turn, wasn't a bad thing. The race didn't go ahead anyway. Like you can't predict that stuff. There's some things that you just like, Okay, that's just a random, but generally like any glute issues, hip issues, lower back, lower limb, like those things you can create like a very general assumption that these things are most triathletes are going to be weak or need help with. You're speaking my language now. I'm glad you're actually saying all these things because it's uh, bring to light that yes, you do need strength and conditioning, but there's a certain time and a place to actually maybe lift a little bit more and there's a time and a place to stay off of it and just maintain and just keep your body active and, and strong where the areas of importance are. So keep it moving, right? Right. Yeah. And I, that's again, what we, like every, every sport has its different set of demands on the body and what a triathlete is doing may be different from what a runner is doing, which may be different from what a tennis player is mm-hmm. doing versus a golf player. Like it's really important to be sport specific with strength training. And I get a lot of athletes who come to me and they're like, oh, I have a strength and conditioning coach. I'm like, okay, great. Can I go see what you're doing? And it's not really, it's great. It's great if you've got, you want to have an all around generic strength and conditioning plan, but it doesn't really tick the boxes or all the boxes. Tick some, but not all the boxes a triathlete needs to be like conditioned in the right way and place. Right. And so again, like there's things which I always, from my point of view, from a triathlon coach point of view, I know the athletes will need this and will need that. And I, and that's where I'm like very particular when I like take on an athlete, if they have a strength and conditioning coach, I like to work with the strength and conditioning coach. Not always. I just like make to like to make suggestions to like, 
this person's now going to be using this muscle way more than the others and they're going to be tight in this place way more than other. So we really need to focus on this. And I want to like get these muscles firing. Like it's great. They have a great ass. They're strong, but I don't think that ass is actually working. We got to make sure it's actually firing. And so those sorts of things come into play. And so that's really like important. And again, like it's, I, I strength and conditioning and especially just from any athlete's point of view, it's, it's an important part of the training program. And if I think most, especially triathletes, because they think it's all about volume, mm-hmm. like just being hitting the pavement for as long as it's, and as hard as they possibly can. And that's more detrimental to their body than pretty much anything if they're not conditioned to do it. And I see more injuries because of that. So that's when, is it, is it worth going for an extra hour run or is it worth spending an hour in the gym? Probably an hour in the gym would be more beneficial over time than that one hour easy run just to get more volume in. God, inside I'm celebrating. Like I want to go up and enjoy right now that you're actually saying all this. But when it comes from me, no, but when it's come from you, I'm sure people are interpreting this at a whole new different level. I wanted to ask you from a hormonal perspective, like heavy volume, just quite never stopping because I don't feel that triathlon seasons ever have an end. There's always another race. That, but I remember there was a time period that I was like, you know, after October or maybe November, you can actually take a break. But nowadays there's always something big the, the next month. And I've seen my perception of it. A lot more people getting injured, getting sick, fatiguing mentally and never wanting to do anything with the sport ever again. And it's such a great sport. My coach, I remember him, him telling me, such a beautiful sport. Javi, you don't want to waste it by doing extra things that I'm not putting on the program. Just because Joe Schmo's going X amount of miles doesn't mean that you have to. When I've just put you this, I just felt guilty whenever I had to do a short workout and my buddies were doing something long. Yeah, I, that's the psychology of a, an, an athlete in particular right. for athletes. Quite funny. The ones who do it really well, which also some of the best you'll see in the world, they're taking time off and they won't tell, like they don't advertise, oh, I'm on a two to three week hiatus and I'm not doing any training. I know they do that. We talk about it within us but or amongst us, but we don't, it's not, they're not sitting there posting pictures about their, their fishing trip or their vacation on the beach in the Maldives or all those sorts of things which sounds awesome, their audience expects that to see them training and racing. And so essentially they're posting things that are relevant to what their audience wants to see. And it's the audience doesn't know they're on these long breaks uh, and having some rest and putting on five to 10 pounds of weight, which is very healthy. Most age group triathletes, they freak out if they've put on a couple of pounds here and there. And most professionals are happy to put on a few pounds over their off season. They're also happy to take time off and build back into some fitness. It's not, you can't maintain like peak fitness all year round. It's impossible. And yes, there are a lot of races on the schedule every year and there will continue to be more and more, but they're all, they're there this year, they're there next year. They're okay, maybe not through COVID, but they're typically there every single year. So. If you miss the race one year, you can pick it up the next year. But also I found as a, it's good to find your own race routine. When are you best suited to race? And if you have a world championship that is set in stone as in the date and the time of year season wise, like you have to figure out like the best strategy to train around that race. 
and be best prepared for that race and not race and train too hard too soon in the season. Even though, yeah, there may be a qualifying criteria to get to the world championships that you have to um, hit and you have to hit it well, uh, but that can be done without having to sacrifice like an off season. And so it's really important that every athlete, they have like the building blocks to, to get to that world championship race and peak in between, like maybe once or maybe twice, but not every week trying to race. Maybe sometimes more times in a month, like two to three times a month is way too often. Like racing once every six to eight weeks is great. It gives the body time to recover. It gives the coach time to, to build an athlete up to, to good form, get some good mileage in and then taper and recover, right? An athlete who's racing every week is just, they might get race fit. They might pull off like a string of good races, but they're losing a lot of core fitness that they need to maintain that throughout the year. And then, like you said earlier, risk injury. So a lot of these key factors like play into a program. And for example, if you're living in Florida, you don't want to be training like all your peak miles through the middle of summer, which is impossible because it's so hot. Just if you're living in Colorado, you don't want to be doing all your peak mileage in the middle of winter when it's too cold. So you've got, to, you've got to adapt to your environment a little bit. Or if you have the luxury of training camps, take advantage of that time to go away somewhere that is conducive to your training and your season plan to hit that A race when you need to hit it. Everything for the Instagram, Norlanda. They'll post anything, especially here in Miami. Yeah, look, pros get paid money to post and to post job, uh, jobs, but I would say ads if like about products they use or things like that. They get mm-hmm. sponsored by and the consumer is the audience they cater to. There's an influence they have over, over people and it might not necessarily be the best product for that, for the consumer, the, the people looking at those Instagram accounts. It, it, and I see it a lot. Like some athletes are very, persuaded by what the pros are doing and and posting and especially the younger generation who are on social media I mean that whatever's on social media is gospel to them so they're the ones that are really targeted in terms of like product and sponsorships endorsements through pros but I think a lot of the older more educated consumer is a little bit more aware that there is a price tag that those guys are getting paid to post about certain products and can come to their own decision or conclusion, whether that's a suitable product for them or just something that's more or less um, a gimmick that the po- pro may be posting about. It's, I've seen a lot of pros lately posting about their recovery, like Cameron Brown. I, I follow him and I, I, I love him. Oh, yeah, I love that. And it, which it's no doubt in my mind that he's actually doing that legitimately for real because he's he's been injured for a long time and he has this endless pool and right? yeah and he's older so again like an older athlete more more uh, predisposed to being injured but also using like a good alternative to to actually running outdoors taking some of the weight off whereas mm-hmm. I see some athletes using this harness trainer on the treadmill to impact and again some athletes might say that's a great thing for me the lever but. Some you see an older athlete like Cameron Brown just going old school, jogging in the that. pool, which is what you know we all used to do. All the other marathon runners do it. It's great aqua therapy as well as like you're getting the running in. There's different different methods and means that athletes use. Yeah, 
let's say January 1st, you see your season, you see your races and you sit down with your coach, just your mental state on how you can reach your goals. If you, if you put, okay, I want to be the Ironman champion. These are the steps I need to take. Like so at the beginning of the season, sometimes at the end of the previous season, like I do a, or did a recap of the year, right? What went well, what went wrong, what needs work, what races I was good at, what courses I was good at, what races not so much and why. And then I would come to this like place where I'd be able to set out the year in terms of my races and the races would have, I'd always pick races where I felt were good for me, which kind of complemented my strengths, like mm. racing in the heat, racing over a hilly course and a flat or bike course and a flat run. Like that, that, that would be typically my, my DNA of racing, like, and, and a swim, whatever, because I was pretty good swimmer. So I wasn't so much worried about the swim, but those, like those things I would look into and that kind of helps establish or cut out some races on the calendar and and keep in other races, which I'd done in the past. And then I would try and keep that routine every year. So I, you'd see me always popping up at certain races, which would be like a Florida 70.3, there was Escape from Alcatraz, there was uh, Wildflower. I would never, I, I did California, the 70.3 in Oceanside a few times, but that again, that was not for me. Even though it was a hilly bike, it was very, it wasn't a very hot race. And it was too early in the season for me. I never raced early in the season. I always raced really well at the end of the season or when I say season, like year for me. And so that would be like, I would establish that kind of framework for the season. And some sometimes I would do back-to-back races when I felt like I was in a really good, I'd hit a really good training um, block and I was really fit. So I would hit back-to-back races. And sometimes that wasn't because I um, was trying to, qualify or do anything I just for me I was earning a living from the sport so if I could hit a few races and win them it'd be a good paycheck within a certain period of time and then I'd go back to the drawing board and start another long training block so I found that worked really well for me and that was like where I was at in terms it was more strategic than it was like having the send moment of ah, what do I feel like racing this year is more like what works for me mm. and even when I I help athletes design their race calendar through the year it's like what works for them and what works for me is not going to work for everybody else. It's, it's always different. Some people like to travel overseas, some don't. Some like to be in hot climate, some don't. Some like a wetsuit swim, some don't. So it's, there's so many different things you can try and hone in on. And then that kind of really filters down the races for what an athlete should be looking at doing. And I try and discourage athletes just because there's a race, maybe it's in their hometown, it might not be the best race for them. So we kind of, it sometimes isn't the, isn't always what they want to hear, but, and they might still do it anyway. But I, I would tell them what I feel is the smart decision. Oh my God. I would be so frustrated. It's like, don't. Yeah, I know. I know. And you're a mentor and a guide and you're not their parents. And you, you got to let people sometimes make those decisions on their own. And even though you've guided them in, in a different way, it's best that you allow athletes to make certain mistakes if they need to before they come to that realization so actually my coach actually knows best she told himself thank you so much for your time Yanda. and i hope i can see you on the road one day and have the privilege to ride with you yeah give me a shout out when you see me on the road i hope that you enjoyed this episode with Leanda. isn't she amazing guys if you also want to follow Leanda on instagram her instagram is at Leanda cave and if you want to be coached by her man what a treat would be go to club Leanda cave Dot com. Again, Club Leander Cave. 
www.leandthecave.com. That is where you can get coaching from Leanne the Cave, four-time world champion triathlete. Have a good one, guys. Train smart.